I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people, and many millionaires to find out their secrets to success and to share them here with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money. And in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going, and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In this episode, I'm talking with Brie Tartaglione, who says, buy into the possibility of you. On March 17, 2020, Brie unexpectedly lost the use of her legs. But that was not the end of her story. The agonizing pain became worse, and she was left without any feelings and total paralysis. She had a very active mind that was trapped, terrified, and locked inside a lifeless body of which she had no control. Sometime later, on the day of her 29th birthday, she had the best possible birthday gift. She arose and she took her first steps once again. Prior to her paralysis, she could run up to 5K. But now she had the unparalleled wonder of learning how to walk again, this time as a conscious human being. She went through intense rehabilitation and in less than a year, incredibly, she ran her first marathon. This is a story of great adversity, sheer terror, coming through the other side and learning to walk again, and then going on to be a thriving, successful businesswoman in New York City. And of course, we're going to be revealing all the secrets of success and what it takes to get there. Let's bring in this amazing woman herself. Welcome to the show, Brie Tartaglialon. Hey, Brie, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. I am very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. You know, Brie, when I was writing this introduction for you, I got quite emotional. And even Mm -hmm. now I'm struggling to keep that emotion out of my voice because of the understanding of what you've gone through. I think you're an amazing lady and I feel really privileged to meet with you. Thank you so much. I feel... I feel very similar and just hearing the way that you were able to speak about my story, um, you know, hearing others sort of bring it into their own worldview is something unique for me as well. So I really look forward to having this conversation around it. Uh, great. Okay. So before we get into the paralysis and what happened to you, I want to find out about Brie. Yeah. Brie the person. So where were you born? 
I was born in a small town in the smallest state in the U.S. in Rhode Island. Okay. And it's a part of New England. And I was there up until I was 18. I lived in the same town uh, from birth until 18. And then I ventured out a little bit, just an hour away to Boston, which is a little bit more well-known by uh, those who are international. And then I, after that experience, that was from my undergrad experience. And then I ventured to New York for grad school. And that's where I live and work now. Okay. New York City. Let, let's just rewind a little then. So mm -hmm. I want to find out about you before all the paralysis. So what was the life like for you in that small town and what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? Hmm, that's a great question. Life was, I would say life was comfortable transparently. Uh, I really enjoyed my upbringing. I had really incredible role models in my life who uh, were able to really infuse my life with everything that a child would would look for for growth and development. So I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, explore and play a lot of different sports and activities and find out really what I liked and didn't like. Uh, I had an older brother. He and I had a great relationship and, you know, sort of doing life with him as a young child and adolescent was a lot. Of, uh, I had, a, I, I really had a beautiful upbringing. I feel very thankful to say. That's wonderful to hear. So who was your favorite role model? Mm, uh, growing up, you know, it really was my parents. I I just saw them as, you know, this, they modeled love for me and that was important. In, but also my father was a business owner. I watched him go from a seed of a business and really just work his way day in and day out to build that business to an incredibly successful place. My mom was his partner in it, in it all, both, you know, in the working relationship for business, but also my mom really uh, was the one who took care of my brother and I, and just modeled that, that nurturing motherly, uh, peace for me as well and so together my parents really were my role models that's wonderful to hear you're honestly blessed truly yeah. blessed so let's move forward then take me to march 16 2020 the mm -hmm. day before paralysis what yes. was happening in your life and what happened and how did it all begin so this question is really interesting for me and for many people I can imagine in the world because at least for New York City, this was the final day. March 16th was a Monday and it was the last day of in-person work before the school systems were going to go into remote learning. So at the time I was working in an education company where we worked with schools. So everything that we did in our business was contingent upon what was happen happening in public and private education in New York City. So on March 16th, that Monday, 
my company company and I, excuse me, had a board meeting basically the whole day to try to map out how we were going to work through this new unknown remote space. What what plans did we have in place? What systems were, were we going to use? What implementations? How we were going to keep in contact with schools without actually going into schools? It was really a full day of brainstorming and trying to figure out what was going to take place the following day. And for me, interestingly enough, I the paralysis, which fully happened on the 17th, started on the 16th, which I wasn't sure what was happening. But during this board meeting, I am uh, a very attentive, active participant, especially in this company where it was a really collaborative place. And there were eight of us sort of at this head office team that were working on these plans for remote work. And I wasn't myself. And the reason for that was that I had this strange, numbing, tingling sensation. It was like pins and needles or, you know, when your foot might fall asleep. That was the feeling, but it wasn't lasting just a few minutes. It was lasting hours. And I noticed it at the beginning of the board meeting. So I was a little bit restless, but still as attentive as I could be. And as the day progressed, so did this tingling sensation as it grew from just my toes through my feet and it started to grow up through my legs. So it was a slow progressive process, but my coworkers started to notice it. I wasn't myself. I I couldn't be actively engaged in this really important meeting because I was so uncomfortable and confused and sort of disassociating from what was happening because there was something really weird going on with my body. Funny enough, one of my, I, I was uh, not feeling so well a couple of days prior, a week prior, and I was bedridden for a couple of days. And one of my coworkers, I told them, I was like, I, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. It's, you know, something weird, something just feels weird. And one of my coworkers was like, Oh, Brie, you, you weren't feeling well. He's like, you, you probably, uh, let's just get you a protein shake. Maybe that will help. Let's get some, you know, nutrients in your body, vitamins and minerals, some protein, something to, you know, (laughs) make you feel better. And I'm like, that makes sense. Let's do that. So (laughs) I have this protein shake and absolutely nothing changes. So though it was a great idea, I'm like, okay, there is something more is happening here. And as the day continues to progress, so does the feeling all the way up through uh, my waist. And at this point, I'm actually uncomfortable sitting. So by the end of the day, I'm standing behind the chair, kind of trying to like shake my legs out, but also really trying to get through this most important meeting so that we could, so that we could uh, really, you know, move through these next weeks or possibly months. So that was really the day prior. And then after that day, I went home. I'd be happy to talk about, you know, that progression as well. Great. So 
17th, you, yeah. you go to hospital. Mm -hmm. What happens? Yeah, well, you know, let me, let me just sort of continue that timeline and bring you to the moments of getting to the hospital. So the very, what had happened was when I got home on the 16th, I had noticed that this not really being able to sit down was progressing. I was getting nervous, but not trying to think about it too much, thinking maybe I could sleep it off. I then try to go to sleep and realize that my legs are keeping me up. So every 15, 20, 30 minutes, I'm standing up, trying to shake out my legs, trying to get rid of this restless feeling. It wasn't till the morning of the 17th when I was ready to fully wake up after a really terrible night of sleep held up by my legs that I realized the last time I tried to stand up, I stumbled. And when I stumbled, I realized something is seriously wrong here. Mm, what's going through your mind then? That was a, that was a moment, moment of panic. Mm. I did what no one should do. And I went online and I tried to figure out what was going on. Yeah. Dr. Google. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. I can say that I was closer to, uh, you know, what the actual diagnosis was. I actually was kind of found a cousin to what it could have been, which I don't know if that at the time, I was really nervous about that, but everything plays out as it should. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I stumbled and I immediately called my parents who we spoke about and who are so important in my life. And I was like, something's going on. I need to take myself to the hospital. After I call my parents, I call my boss from the day prior. And I was like, listen, I was like, I can't, I know this is my first day of remote work. I can't, I can't work. I have to go to the hospital. Something's seriously wrong. I take myself to the hospital and no sooner I, I get to the emergency room and I have to use my hands to sort of walk myself along the triage desk. And no sooner that I said to the triage nurse, I think my legs are about to collapse beneath me, did it happen? And so at that point, uh, I fell to the floor. They scooped me up and put me in a wheelchair and the next phase of the hospital phase really started for me. Okay. Then what happened? Mm -hmm. This was a very scary and extensive process. So as you had mentioned in the introduction at this point, my, I still had that feeling in my legs, but that numbing, tingling sensation had intensified to a really sharp fire-like sensation radiating through my legs. It was one of the most, if not the most intense pains that I have been in in my life thus far, though I have not had a child yet. So I, <laughs> I will, I'm sure that that would, might be number two. <laughs> But at this point in my life, it was for sure at the very top of the list. Sure. So and how long was it then before mm -hmm. your full body goes into total paralysis? Mm -hmm. So it was, it actually, it, 
it was 100% paralysis from the waist down and 80% from the neck up. So I actually, through the whole time, had arm mobility, but the numbing, tingling uh, sensation also took over my face, my head, and my neck. And wow. that all, it from the first moment of the toe tingling to that full head and neck and waist down paralysis was about 24 hours. So this was maybe another two hours of being in the hospital before everything was totally shut down. Oh my goodness me. So (laughs) what's going through your head at this time? Yeah. Well, at, at, the point where I was feeling that fiery sensation, I was still in the emergency room. They hadn't brought me to uh, the neurology unit, which is ultimately the team of doctors that I had working with me, which I can talk about, but I was still in the emergency room. And being in the emergency room also at the very beginning of COVID was scary in and of itself because no one knows what's going on. There is just a veil of panic everywhere, not to mention that this was the day that New York City hospitals went into unexpected lockdown themselves. So it was a complete feeling of panic of needing some type of relief because of this intense pain. Uh, You know, it it was shock, shock and panic really at this point. How far away were you mom and dad at this stage? So this is actually how I knew that the, the hospitals went into lockdown because my parents from New York City are about a four hour drive. And that morning when I called them, they said, we're going to do what we can to get there. And they said, we're going to do what we can because they were also locking up a lot of state borders. So they didn't even know if they would be able to cross the state, but they made it happen. They got to the hospital. I remember at this point, they had finally brought me up to neurology and were running just a full battery of tests. And I remember seeing a flash of my mom. So they were at the point where they were only letting one person in at a time. I never saw my dad that day. I saw a flash of my mom in between all of these tests. And then when I woke back up, she was gone. And that's when I was told that she had to leave because the hospital's now in lockdown. So I also woke back up in uh, essentially like what you would imagine the the white rooms in you know in complete isolation that you might see in a movie because one covid's happening two they don't know if that's what i have or if catching that or contracting that is going to totally change my circumstance so not only am i in this complete isolation but the doctors and nurses and everyone is in hazmat suits. So it was, it was really, really trying, horrifying, scary experience. So thinking about all of that, for you, yeah. what was the worst part? Oh, man. At, in these moments, it was the unknown. And there really was so much unknown about what was happening to me and doctors though i 
say I had the most incredible team of doctors and nurses and, and hospital staff that I could have possibly had in the, in the first 48 to 72 hours, they had absolutely no answers to give me. And at that point, we're essentially running out of tests to look at. It was like I was a mystery case where conversations that were being had was this could this could intensify even further. This could be permanent. This could lead to amputation or this could lead to we don't we don't know an end of life scenario really is what was being alluded to that they just couldn't tell me what was going on and they had to prepare me for the worst because they didn't have those answers. So that unknown space was for sure the most difficult for me. Sure. And you didn't have your parents there either, which is double, double, double. How old were you at this point? I was 28. 28. Okay. 28. Yeah. I had just finished a, a year out of grad school. Okay. So let's fast forward then. What was the end game with the paralysis? What was it and how long were you paralyzed? Yeah, so the I can give you the long name, but then I'll give you the short name because <laughs> the medical the medical description, I can tell you how I have understood it. It's called acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. It goes by ADEM, A-D-E-M, if anyone listening wants to look it up. Interestingly enough, why it wasn't first or even last on their list of tests to run is because it's a condition that often happens in children and young children. So being 28, I'm 10 years into adulthood, it was not even on the radar of tests that would make sense to run because it's extremely rare for adults to contract or to have. It's not something that you contract. It's sort of just something that functions within you. How, what, how long did it take for them to reach that diagnosis? About five days. Okay. So about it five. was completely unknown for five days. You were mm. trapped inside. The world yeah. is going mad. People are falling over with COVID. They're burying people all over the place. We don't know what's going on. Goodness me, what a tough, tough time. Yeah. But... There's some light at the end of the tunnel here. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your 29th birthday. Yeah, on my 29th birthday, this was, they had figured out what was going on. Um, they were able to put me on a medicine that would take, it was like about a week or a little bit longer than a week for this medicine to sort of administer into my body. And a few days into that treatment, I was able to wiggle my toe. And that was the first, that was the first uh, real moment of light that I saw. And then on my 29th birthday, I wobbly and uh, unsteady, but was able to take my first steps again, which is a moment I'll never forget. Okay. So tell me about that moment. How were you feeling? Yeah. I, you know, putting the feelings into words can be 
difficult because there's so many of them and maybe there's not one feeling that pairs with it so well, but it was a moment. It, it was a moment that I never, I didn't know if I was going to ever receive again. So it felt so much like a gift to me, a real gift to myself on my birthday, because it, it was like a combination of excitement accomplishment, disbelief, uh, wonder, just amazement in my body and the power of modern medicine. I mean, there are so many pieces wrapped up in that feeling. Yeah, I can imagine. It must have been absolutely incredible. Incredible. Mm -hmm. I have a similar feeling. I'll share with you on a story another day. But you had to then learn to walk again so mm -hmm. as a child we don't think about walking we just get up fall over get up fall over but now you may you have to make a conscious effort to walk so how was this journey for you how long did it take for you to get back on your feet so to really be able to fully functionally walk again it took another two or so weeks where I was able to be released, do outpatient uh, physical therapy, and then, you know, continue on that journey for myself. So it took about two weeks, but the, the beginning stages, as you said, of learning to walk again, we don't think about it as a baby because we're unconscious beings. We our parents get to see or our caregivers get to see this process play out, but we don't take the process and remember it as such throughout our lives. And so for me, that consciousness piece, that watching my 29-year-old self learn, relearn a skill that I had taken for granted my whole life because... I have always just had the ability, as far as I can remember, was life-changing in a way that it brought everything else to focus for me. It really had me take a battery of my life and assessment to understand where else might I be functioning unconsciously. And interestingly enough, it makes sense as human beings that we automate processes. They, it makes it helpful for us. It's a part of our humanness that we're able to do things unconsciously and not have to think about them, especially in the world and the lives that we're living that are so fast-paced, so immediate, so go, 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 essentially, automating processes really help us out. Yeah. But when you live a life of automation and don't step back to understand where this might be helping you and where it might be hurting you, that was, those were the, the, the pieces that I was able to pull out for myself and have been able to then speak on because it's not, it's not something that I would expect others to think about unless they've had an experience like this where an unconscious process of theirs was then made conscious. Yeah, hopefully no one has to go that far to experience those kind of feelings. I I okay, yeah, so um, you're an expert in psychology. 
So one part of psychology I, I want to talk about with you now is our belief system. Mm-hmm. So our beliefs play a very strong part in our lives. So I want to kind of compare or understand <clears throat> as you were trapped inside your body, what were you thinking and what beliefs did you have at that time? And mm-hmm. how can we compare those now with your beliefs in business and success in business? So one of the, one of the biggest questions, and I have a, a story around this and a message around this, but I can give you the short version. What I was thinking and questioning was why. And this is a really sticky, uncomfortable, unhelpful place for anyone to fall victim to is asking outwardly the question why. And this is because there is not going to be an outside source, though a doctor can give me a medical explanation as to why. And, uh, you know, uh, PT can give me the physical explanation as to why I was looking for the larger why, the why me why. Mm, And regardless of spirituality or religion or understanding or, or belief systems, that why still doesn't come to us directly. So I realized that that why me question was powerless. It was leaving me without power to be able to take control of my circumstance, what control I could have in it. I was basically had no control of my body. And as such, I relinquished control in my mind. And you asked about belief systems at this time. And I think it's so interesting because I didn't have a belief one way or the other as to what was going to happen. But I think based on the uncertainty around what was happening, I felt like my my belief systems were uh, almost obsolete. Like it didn't it didn't matter. Again, I relinquished power. So it didn't matter what I believed because I didn't know what I was going to do. How, you know, there's no way I can, I can cross my fingers and hope that modern medicine works. But I felt like because I was in this why state of mind only for, only for about 24 hours. And, you know, I can talk about that too, but I was in this why me place. And when I give away that why me power, I'm also giving away anything that I might have believed to be true about the world because I've lost all power in any part of who I am and what I'm doing. And beliefs and our belief systems can be one of the most powerful tools that we have, especially in psychology, whether they are uh, beliefs that are positive and helpful for us or beliefs that are negative and hurtful for us the power of the belief system might arguably be the most powerful uh 
presence that we see in psychology. Mm. The interesting thing about beliefs, they don't have to be true, do they? They don't. They don't. And I, I love that you bring that in because if you don't mind, I, I could sort of give how I describe and define beliefs for others that helps them understand how it sort of becomes a part of us. Sure, go ahead. So for belief systems, they are really very intense and deeply ingrained thought patterns in our minds. What that means is that the way that I describe humans, uh, we are a fabric of every interaction, moment, thought, feeling, experience, relationship, and all other combining systems that make up who we are. As a fabric, all of those moments are just a thread that build this fabric of us. When we go back to childhood, adolescence, when we go back to the places where we're still in the developing brain stage, this is where most of our beliefs are really created, secured, and solidified. Oftentimes, our beliefs come from our families, our uh, religious systems, our cultural understandings, our environment, our education. Uh, There's so many places that they can come from, but the pattern of their development is through a thought process. So, If I continually internalize a thought from when I'm younger, maybe that thought is, and this will use a negative belief system because sometimes using it can be helpful for listeners too. But if the thought is, I am incapable, just that, I am incapable, and you hear this or feel this or experience this incapability in your family, in your schoolwork, in your relationships, on the playground, all of those, all of those uh, experiences, thoughts, beliefs, they start to create this really deeply formed pattern in your fabric. And once that pattern is formed deeply enough, that's when it starts to transition into belief beyond our ability to think that it can be changed because we have heard it and experienced it to be true so often. So that is really how a belief is formed and then carried through our lives. And you can see how a negative belief system, if this takes place in various spaces in your life and in your world, how that can be debilitating for a human being to be able to function. Okay, let's move that on then to self-actualization. How does that play a part in our lives? And if it's unhelpful, what tips can you give us to change it to be more helpful? for achieving success, our goals, and aspirations. Self-actualization is one of my favorite topics to speak on because 
Interestingly enough, and there's lots of research behind it, but self-actualization is coming from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you want to look that up, anyone listening, but it means that actualizing ourselves, becoming the best version of ourselves is actually considered a need in this theoretical orientation. What does that mean? That means that at the top of the pyramid, though, there's a lot of other needs that have to come prior to actualizing ourselves. At the top, we have the need to actualize or to become as much as we can become, so to speak. With such needs, when we're speaking on needs, we have to think that the bottom layers are the needs that we know about, the needs like a need for safety, for shelter, for clothing, for nourishment. There, we then grow through the pyramid and understand, <laughs> we then grow through the pyramid and we understand needs of belonging and connection. We need, you know, there's different levels to this, but you get to this becoming piece, this need to become the best version of you. And things can get tricky there because how, how do we do that? Where is the roadmap for becoming the best version of ourselves? How do we fulfill a need that we didn't know we needed? <laughs> so uh, when, when we get there to that place, there it, it's gonna come down to us. It's gonna come down to looking inward because it's not becoming the best version that you can be in society. It's not becoming the best, the best version of your circumstance or of your political perspective or of your family values. Those are all, though, can be helpful to form our worldviews. Those are all looking outward. To become the best version of ourselves, to actualize, we have to look inward. Okay. Right. I'm going to take this to a slightly different angle. See if okay. I can draw it a little bit more out of you. One of my favorite quotes is from Winston Churchill. And he said, when you're going through hell, keep going. I just love that. However, sometimes people stay there. They stop. So the question I have for you is, what are some of the reasons that we might hit a plateau in our development? So yes. what, what causes people to stop? Comfort okay. and discomfort. Right, right. <laughs> can, in, in, in English then, in English then, <laughs> what does that really mean yeah. in terms of someone has a goal or an aspiration they want to achieve something. They have a burning desire for it. Everything starts off great. Mm -hmm. And then they come to what you're now saying is comfort. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? How can we recognize it? And then what can we do about it to move on? It's it's a perfect question to segue from the self-actualization because we can't always get there and we can't figure out why we can't get there. And I say comfort so comfortably because it is, 
so much about what holds us back in this life is our fear of vulnerability, our fear to step into a place of unknown, to a place of discomfort in order to figure out the rest. So when we are on this path and we have a goal that we want to achieve and we're, you know, moving along day by day, checking off boxes, figuring things out, and we might feel stuck, oftentimes that stuckness is taking place in our unconscious, which could be where this really ancient piece of our humanness is kind of going into fight or flight mode. So it's really interesting because even though fight or flight is a, an instinctual response from our late, 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 late first ancestors because they needed it to understand when danger was arising, we don't live in a place where danger for us actually means life-threatening danger in many situations. Obviously, I, I speak subjectively, you want to be able to tune in when there is real and imminent danger, and I never want to say that, not lightly. However, oftentimes we have really evolved into relying on this fight or flight response. Okay, to- right, okay, right. So you're touching on something else that I want to kind of put together with this. So when we hit a plateau, we're in our comfort zone and we have a fear to go further, which is what I think you're saying. So here's the thing. Many people fail to get traction on their goals and aspirations because they get, if you allow me to say, paralyzed with fear. I've seen it lots of times. Mm-hmm. So here's the next bit for you then. How might we continue to move forward in our life in the presence of fear and the unknown? So we don't want to go out of our comfort zone. We're paralyzed with fear. We're not going to reach our goal. Now what? There's a lot of ways that we can sort of take the next step. One really important way that I can't be taking for granted is the education and the mapping out process of what's next. So that that fear of unknown or that wanting to stay in your comfortable place, sometimes it, most often we're not saying that's uncomfortable. I want to stay in comfort. That's not really what the conversation sounds like in our head. And this is another piece of it is we actually need to tune in to the conversation in our head. What are we actually saying to ourselves that's preventing us from taking the next step? Often those those conversations or those pieces that we're offering ourselves in our head is, You don't know how to get there next. You don't know what the next step is, or you can't get to the next step without this. And because you don't have this, 
you're stuck. We sort of convince ourselves that this is a stopping point. Now, plateauing is very common, but pushing ourselves to the next step is continuing to refine that voice in our head that is giving us dysfunctional solutions to our problem. So when you question or try to reframe those dysfunctional solutions into functional ones, you realize that there is a way to map out the road ahead. And that is with very, very small incremental steps of education and growth. But it's it's stemming from us. It's and it's stemming from that voice. We don't like to think that we talk to ourselves, but it's actually a really powerful tool in business and in life. Don't believe everything that your mind is telling you because you're actually in control of it. And that mind is often coming from the fight or flight response. It wants you to stay safe and cushy and comfortable. And stepping outside to learn and to grow is an unsafe space, according to our really, really ancient uh, functioning systems. Okay, so what you're saying is listen to the fear mode, but accept Mm -hmm. that it's there to protect you. And it might not necessarily be true. So embrace that, Mm -hmm. think about where you want to be, and then take stuff from there. Don't just take your fight or flight mode, which injects fear. So think about that. Okay, I've got a tough question for you now. Okay. Are you ready? I am very ready. What is the most important thing you have ever learned? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow. My goodness. Okay. There are so, so many, so many things, but I, I believe since I speak on this, since it really works with our conversation and I, and I would say it would be one of, the most important, if not the most important, is that we are our own lock and key. And understanding that we are the paradox of both of these things is foundational to being able to live our lives as we hope to want to and aspire to i love that it's a great metaphor so in putting our goals together our dreams and desires taking what we've just said what sorry what you've just said (laughs) how can we apply that to achieve greater levels of success because we're now encapsulating everything we've spoken about in the last 45 minutes about belief systems and all of those things. So how do we integrate it to achieve greater levels of success? I think that being self-aware 
which is really sort of the a definition of everything that we have just spoke about, understanding what we're saying to ourselves, understanding that we have the power to actualize, understanding that we automate processes and uh, have functions and systems that work in our unconscious. I think that self-awareness is the consistent factor that is going to help us take an assessment of how we function in our world, what our worldview is, and how we can continue to move through that world. I think the awareness piece is really the ultimate driver in understanding how we're going to be able to move forward, how we're going to be able to achieve these dreams. And awareness is not, uh, I don't say it lightly. I know it can feel tricky and confusing and sticky for people, but there are tools that you can implement to understand how you are functioning to optimize it. One of the most incredible one, there's actually two that I really like to offer and they're ancient, they are highly studied and acclaimed, but that's meditation and journaling. Those two pieces, meditation brings you inward and it allows you to understand really how we think, what we think, where we think, and sort of take everything in in context and be able to lay things out. The journaling is bringing everything inward, outward. It allows us to see what we're feeling, experiencing, and thinking. And though there's many nuances to both of those practices, they bring an awareness to ourselves as humans that are the tools we need to build upon who we are. Because at the end of the day, these goals, aspirations, and achievements don't happen without a fully functioning and optimized us. So I sort of speak grandiose in, in grandiose terms, but we need to be fully aware of who we are. That is how we're going to get to the next level. Okay, let me do the flip side of that then to fill a couple of gaps. Okay. Why is it you think that people fail? Hmm. I, it's part of the process. Of course. It is failure. I talk often about the waves of life. Let me just slightly rephrase it, slightly. What are the most common reasons why people fail? Mm-hmm. That'll make it a little easier. <laughs> um, let, me, let me think. The most common reasons, I, you know, I really, I really believe that, that, that failure is it comes in to our lives when when there might be a gap of learning or a gap of knowledge or understanding that we just hadn't seen sort of in in our successful moment previously but failure in it of itself is a tool it is truthfully part of the process to continue to move forward, but I would say that many people fail indefinitely 
because they felt like it was an indefinite peace. Yeah, they But, they stop. When you're going yeah. through hell, keep going, as Winston Churchill going. said. So people tend to fail, no matter what the reason. They stop. They hit that plateau you were talking about earlier.、Mm. So what you're saying is, take that failure as a tool, as a lesson.、Mm -hmm. uh, another one of my favorite quotes is: Every time you fall over, make time.、Uh, make sure you pick up something. <laughs> That's another way of saying use failure as a tool. Okay, so we're coming to the end. Already, gosh, time has flown, absolutely flown. I want to ask you another tricky one.、Mm -hmm. What's your greatest achievement? Wow, wow! I knew that would be a tough one for you. <laughs> you know, I would say, in in typical.、Uh, Psychology, fashion, really just pairs with this whole conversation. But it's it's the power of my mindset. It's understanding how much power I have to be able to control and dictate who I want to be, how I want to feel, what I want to think, and how I want to move forward in this world.、Uh, achieving that. Enlightenment, so to speak, as a very mild form of the word, but understanding the true power that I have within myself, being able to understand how I went from why me to because me, how I went from relinquishing power to bringing in ultimate power to myself and my circumstance, the ability for me to be able to do that in just about every scenario. I would say is one of my, if not my, greatest achievements. Okay, lovely. So, Bri, you've been through a lot of pain, but right now, in English,、mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you measure success?、Mm -hmm. I believe, though, success can obviously be monetary,、mm -hmm. and we often. Love to see success as a monetary value. I believe that success is how we value our life and our circumstances and our story. I believe that again, everything stems from us. We don't achieve the big external dream without achieving the internal soul. The person, the human. So I believe that success is the value of how we value ourselves in our world. I believe that you know I would love to always have that value paired with monetary value. This is how we make it through the world, and this is how we can continue to impact others. But success for me, again, as everything else in my life stems internally. It's how I value myself. It's how I bring value to the world. That is what I feel is success for me. Okay, a question I'm often asked, and I'm going to pass this one to you: discovering your purpose. Because I, the reason I'm asking you this, based on what you've just said,、uh, bringing the whole thing together, the thing 
I'm feeling from this is that maybe we're here for a reason, for a purpose. How does someone discover themselves, their self-worth, and bringing that together as how does someone discover their purpose? So interestingly enough, this is actually the premise of my personal podcast is on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so happy to be able to sort of tie this all in because it's really important to me as well. I have taken so many stories of people who I've spoken with, clients that I've worked with, those who I've brought on my podcast, myself, family, strangers, everyone, and asked them what their definition of purpose is. And I've done research on it. I've tried to figure it out. And I've deduced it down to this very small equation, which there are other outside factors that can play a role. But the very small equation is purpose equals passion plus people, meaning we are put on this earth and we get to do a lot of discovery. And in that discovery, a discovery, we find things that we dislike or want to push away. And we find things that sort of feed our soul or we want to bring in closer. That feeling of feeding our soul and bringing in closer is passion. That passionate feeling that we get from being able to do something when you can bring it to the world, to people, that develops purpose in you. Now, is it our ultimate purpose? That I can't speak to, and I would push it over to my religion and spirituality experts for that. But what I can say is when we do deep work that drives us, the work that you can get lost in, the work that you can put your phone away and lose track of time because you love it so much. That is what the feeling that we need to capture and bring to others. That brings purpose into our life. That brings meaning and value to both us and the ones around us. So being able to fulfill a purpose is being able to take what fuels you and use it to fuel the world awesome okay so i know that you like myself give keynote speeches run workshops and do coaching so if someone wants to reach out to you now how do we contact you thank you so much for this opportunity and being able to share with your audience first of all jeff i do really appreciate it If anyone would want to contact me for any of those speeches, workshops, or coaching, you can find me first at my website. That's brieundeniably.com, B-R-I-U-N-D-E-N-I-A-B-L-Y.com. In all of my social profiles, I am on absolutely every platform, and you can find me there at Brie Undeniably. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Your final and closing words. What do you want to leave with us 
for the secrets of success. So you had mentioned in the bio earlier that I said buy into the possibility of you. And I find that it is sort of the seed focus that breathes everything else into to life with what I do, who I work with. And buying into the possibility of you means that even though we can't see it now, it's not in our direct line of vision or even in our peripherals, our possibility and our potential as human beings is outside of that realm. What we need to do, the buy-in process, is to have a belief strong enough to understand without the evidence that you can and you will achieve what you're looking to achieve personally or otherwise. So buying into the possibility of you is buying into the fact that your potential is beyond your understood circumstances. And if you just push gently into that vulnerability and zone of discomfort, that is where you find that possibility and where you're able to thrive. I might just come back to you and find out exactly how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for today. Thank you, Brie. You have been truly amazing. Well, thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped to ignite your passion, be a catalyst for action and giving you the fuel you need to realize your dreams. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the follow button and make sure you don't miss any new episodes. Leave a review and share. You know, it really does make a huge difference because without your help, we can't succeed. So please go ahead and hit the follow button right now. On another note, I'm always searching for great success stories. So if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me through our website at jeff-smith.com. I'd really love to hear from you and to welcome you onto the show. That's all from me. Thank you for listening and have a great day.